Welcome to Gu Dao Jinxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning. Did you enjoy your new year? Yes, I did. Uh, I um, try to uh, remember, uh, you know, the, those days uh, when I had the big gathering with my extended family, especially the some of the my favorite food from uh, cooked by my grandma. So I you know, try to remember those uh, because I only like I stood by her side and watched mm. her making those foods. Uh, so I try to uh, I try to remember it. I try to retrieve it from my memory, but with the help of the some of the video, uh, you know, that shows how to make certain food, I was able to mm. uh, replicate those mem- great memories. Oh wow, that is that does sound like a beautiful memory. Just a very that wholesome memory of being small and being close to someone that we feel safe around. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, to just to create some festivities, uh, you know, in where I am. Yeah, that sounds wonderful, and I don't know if that relates to your walking the timeless way moment. But do you have a walking the timeless way moment? from the recent past? Uh, I do. I think, you know, now is um, is the uh, mid-February, mid, uh, and in Florida, I'm already seeing the, you know, the, the green, the little uh, sprouts and the buds on the oh. branches of some of the trees. So as you know, every day I take a walk around the lake uh, near my neighborhood, and I walk by this giant oak tree. Mm. I think I always experience a you know walking the timeless way moment when I just you know pass by. And and so dig into that a little bit more. What do you feel inside when you pass by that giant oak tree? Uh, I think the most uh, most strong the the strong strongest feeling is a sense of timelessness uh, about that tree. Just the huge size. I think mm. it's probably more than a hundred years. Hmm. Uh, because of the trunk and all the branches uh, extending far into the into the sky, uh, so when I look at it, it, it looks so solid and steady, and you know I just cannot help wondering about how it over the years how it it, it has uh, managed to weather all the the elements, you know, the storms and hurricanes and all those things. And so, you know, that kind of um, 
how, how would you say uh, the the also it's it's just like vibrant uh, mm. with all the buds, and I think about its roots. It must be very deep in order to grow that far. Well, it's such a beautiful metaphor for especially Dallas thought because mm. it it's the epitome of Wuwei. It it does the absolute minimal amount of movement. I mean, I'm, you know, its roots grow mm. a little bit each year. It's it it sheds leaves, it grows new buds, but other than that, it does essentially nothing but exist and and yet it flourishes, yet it still has vibrancy and mm -hmm. it almost hurt my head just thinking about how still and calm a being and a tree is certainly a, a being can be and and surpass the lifespan of a human while not running around like a chicken with its head cut off like mm -hmm. we all do i totally agree so yeah when every time i look at it i just you know, I think it's a sense of awe and a sense of wonder, um, and 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 also peace for mm. whatever reason. Well, there, it certainly is a lovely vision that you shared, and so thank you for sharing that walking the time this way moment. Mm -hmm. So this time we we want to get into chapter twenty six of Tao Te Ching and. I'm wondering if you would be willing to start off the study of the chapter by reading the original Chinese text. Sure. Um, let me... Zhong wei qing gen, jing wei zao jun, shi yi jun zi, zhong ri xing, 不离自重，虽有荣冠，艳处超然，奈何万乘之主，而以身倾天下，轻则失根，躁则失君。Thank you very much. Yep. So I'm going to pick up a translation that I've actually done recently and thank you for your help as I've been going through and finally getting around to translating mm -hmm. all the chapters. So here's one um, that I've done of this chapter. Heaviness roots lightness, calm overcomes impetuousness. A noble one travels all day without leaving the chariot. Although glory abounds, remains at ease above it all. How can one be master of 10,000 chariots, yet they treat the world so lightly? Too soft loses the root, too fiery loses nobility. That's good. That's very good. And I, and I did make some change. There was one sentence in particular I made some changes to after preparing for this mm -hmm. and, it, and it's kind of a um, you know going through multiple translations using five different translations you can see 
um, you know, there's quite a bit of variation in the translations out there. So Mm -hmm. maybe someday we'll do an episode just talking about um, translating and, and the different versions. But for this chapter, one thing I want to do is kind of look at it's a it's a short chapter. And so look at some of the concepts directly and just examine them so mm-hmm. for example the the first phrase heaviness roots lightness what does that mean and maybe you can even tie this into something we've already kind of been talking about yeah the um first of all i think uh in ancient chinese philosophy there's always uh, an interesting distinction between uh, ben, which means the root, like a, mm. like a gen, gen and a ben. So today, mm. in modern Chinese, we say gen ben. We mean mm. fundamental. Okay. So this distinction between ben and mo, mo is the lighter part. It can be, you know, the branches, anything that's derived from that ben. So I think it's in Chinese uh, philosophical discussion always that we should focus on ben because that's where everything comes from. Okay. Mm. So in this particular chapter, when I saw zhong wei qing gen, I immediately connect to that philosophical concepts like ben and mo. you know, from the way it's described, you know, we early on, we talked about this uh, giant oak tree, right? So really, how far the branches can stretch out really depends on how deep the roots, right? Mm. It's, it's, it's the hidden one. It's the invisible one, right? Mm. So nowadays, in, you know, as we know, in our society, in our culture, Everything is performative. It's on the stage. It's the one that's visible that mm. people are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And we tend to forget that, uh, you know, really care about that the root part. So that's where I see the meaning here um, in terms of this text and also its, its relevance to our society and to our culture. It's funny that you you said it the way that you did, because as you were talking about it, I was imagining mm-hmm. as a musician, a a guitar, like a guitarist who maybe is playing very fast and intricate, mm-hmm. but but there's no real foundation in their playing that, you know, mm-hmm. they've all they've done is practice playing really quickly and. Mm-hmm intricately and so when you listen to it there's something kind of missing and it's the the root that is missing. that root yeah yeah that's where probably uh the most time consuming part uh another example maybe it's in the it area uh you know i'm not a technology guy uh my wife uh, studied it uh, during college, so we talk occasionally. We talked about the young people nowadays because uh, I think really a lot of the demands are from the IT area, and uh, there are a lot of very um, trendy, you know, things about AI or 
uh, you know, machine learning, all those things. Uh, but as we talked about them, you know, my wife shared with me a, a, a perspective that sometimes these things can change very quickly. So it's really uh, maybe for the students to learn about to master the basics of like C++ and mm -hmm. other, you know, the really the foundation of the computer science and then use that as a root and to, to ground their, their learnings. Uh, I think given that maybe, you know, the, the demands of the job markets, I think a lot of people in they set up the, the, the coding camps and just touch upon the, the surface part, but the really the foundation part, uh, because that takes more time to build. It's a similar thing with other disciplines. Uh, you know, what is the foundation of that knowledge, either in physics or humanities, or what's the, the kind of the most popular or trendy topics? Yeah, it makes perfect sense that the in encoding you know, would be you know, learning the fundamentals, learning the patterns, um, and by patterns, you know, there there are kind of theoretical patterns that you use mm -hmm. in different scenarios, and that's what makes the the code base cleaner and more mm -hmm. um, extensible and and better to maintain and whatnot. And and so yeah, it might be the equivalent of someone just learning a bunch of frameworks and kind of. Um, libraries and things like that and mm -hmm. they seem very knowledgeable about you know what's trendy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they don't have a, a root in actual engineering and and there's a lot of that people who just kind of get the 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 flower if you will which you know even in Taoism there's a chapter mm -hmm. that talks about those who talk a lot that just have the flower of it without actually um, the substance part. That's right. And so, in in this, then we're we're really talking about how important that strong foundation is. That oak tree that you walk past, if it didn't have those deep roots, it certainly could not attain that height. Mm -hmm. It would topple. And right. so, it's the same principle in our own lives. Right. That's correct. And then. Related to that, the next line about you know, calm masters impetuousness. Mm -hmm. Can you dig into that some more? Yeah, the first thing I'm thinking about is you know uh, again uh, in the in, in the area of like a music, right? Mm -hmm. Music is created through the the both the sound and the silence, right? So without, let's say, without, or like a painting is created through the objects on the painting and the white space. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I think about, mm. you know, this connection between silence and sound. So again, we focus more on the sound of it, but without the silence part of it, you know, really the silence is probably the, the origin of all the sound. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And just, you know, thinking about music that kind of, I don't mm -hmm. know, kind of num numbs the head and the ears. And it's just, mm -hmm. you know, if it has the just a constant beat that never changes and right, <laughs> there's no, it's just 
you tune out. I mean, there's a lot of that music out there, so obviously someone's listening to it, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with the painting. You know, imagine that on every corner of that canvas, you, you have something, right? It's all mm. filled out without leaving any, uh, you know, uh, white space. Uh, what kind of uh, work, you know, is it? What kind of impact is on us? So we need, sometimes in order to appreciate the, 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 the visible or the sound or the objects, we need a contrasting space, like a contrasting mm -hmm. thing to really appreciate it. You know, I, I think that's what I see in a lot of in life or in, in nature. Yeah, the one of my favorite artists and and his paintings in particular, Miro, mm -hmm. his his philosophy. I mean, his I don't know, call it his philosophy, but his, mm -hmm. what he would say is, I want to murder painting, and and mm. by that he meant there's all of this knowledge and technique and all this stuff that the the art world had built up and you know how art it's just mm -hmm, mm -hmm. modern art is the reaction to what was before that and so on and it goes and he basically said i want to murder all this because it's become so heavy and not rooted that he went back to just very simplistic Mm -hmm. um, approach just lots of white space i mean wasn't always white but just mm -hmm. you know one color with you know, very sharp distinct brush strokes mm -hmm. within that space and created some very impactful works that way and essentially that's exactly what he was doing. It was, you know, calming sort of mm -hmm. not just within the painting, but with the entire, within the entire art world, just this sort of like self-obsessed activity that it had mm -hmm. with itself and just saying, you know what, like I'm throwing all this away and just going back to the very, very basics, mm -hmm. the, es mm -hmm. the essence, if you will. Mm hmm. Which reminds me of a, a quote I, uh, that uh, from Picasso when he talked about the what is the the art the essence mm. of the art, uh, he said something to the effect of the art is really about doing away with the with the uh, unnecessary. Mm. And so it sounds like we can tie this to Lao Tzu who mm -hmm. said this thousands of years ago mm-hmm yes and so m moving on there's a, a line in this chapter um how would you translate that line um I think this is a, a question posed by Lao Tzu. So basically, he was observing that, you know, the first of all, the the Wan Cheng Zhi Wang. So during that time, to see how powerful somebody is, like 
I think it's similar to today. You know, it's look at the the G, the, uh, the economy, how big is the economy, and then the military. Okay, so during that time, the spring and autumn uh, period in Chinese history, that's when Laozi was alive. So when mm. the Lord uh, possessed Wan uh, Chen, means like uh, ten thousand chariots. It's really like a, a a big deal. It's the the really the king of a a major power at that mm -hmm. time. There, I remember there. You know, from you know history that there are five major ba ba means really the uh, uh, is the is the ba is the the powers. Those, mm -hmm. those are the the dominant ones mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, kingdoms. Okay, so these are the. The people that Laozi was talking about, so he was talking about these people, these uh, ruling elites. Uh, how, why, you know, do they kind of uh, treat the world lightly or make light of the world, and and kind of uh, really indulge themselves in terms mm. of their desires and their lifestyles and you know things like that. Mm. So that's that's essentially what this sentence is conveying so it's really a, a criticism then we're we're if we look at the the lines before that it mm -hmm. says we have kind of two two lines of, of contrast you know heaviness roots lightness calm overcomes impetuousness and then we hear about how the noble one travels all day without leaving the chariot although glory mm -hmm. bounds remains at ease above it all now that section it sounds like Lao Tzu is 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 saying that's a positive remark it's kind of like would you agree that Lao Tzu is saying that prior this, to this sentence prior, prior to the to one this, exactly that's a uh yes yes i i think it's a, like a compare uh you know compare and contrast mm -hmm. because the these uh the people who travel uh really with uh it, they are they are more grounded because mm -hmm. if, if they just like just you know go everywhere you know without that that uh that thing with with the heaviness so mm -hmm. he was talking about heaviness i think mm -hmm. uh what's connecting these examples are the lightness and heaviness yeah and of course these lightness and heaviness as a you know it's a it's a those are the concepts that are connected to so many different things right and and so this the, the section on the noble one traveling all day that's Lao Tzu kind of saying this is an example of of being rooted you know being kind of sunk into um the situation not getting distracted not getting caught up in things but then shifts to this next sentence that you just translated mm -hmm. you know how, how can one be master of 10,000 chariots yet you know treat the world so lightly that's the critique then of someone being too light is that correct yeah 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 so the the compared with the noble one who may have one chariot right mm -hmm. the one chariot and tenth chariot these mm -hmm. two people behaved uh totally differently mm -hmm. and lots is obviously saying the the first one was embodying Taoist concepts 
much better than the one that had ten thousand mm-hmm. chariots, but mm-hmm. treating not taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, um, if we're looking at this this chapter in the context of Tao Jing as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that it, it's still just I can't I will probably always be in awe of Lao Tzu with his hundreds of years B.C. Mm-hmm. mind when writing was still fairly new. I mean, mm-hmm. especially compared to. Um, how how advanced writing has become over thousands of years in so few words was able to write about philosophy existence the self psychology morality ethics Mm -hmm. but then spent so much time also writing about governing and Mm -hmm. nobility and pretty much covered everything in this such so many few words why do you think Lao Tzu devoted so much time to governing and nobility in this book considering you know there's not a lot of words right right so are you asking that uh the why so much of attention right yeah. he gave so much attention he gave so much time to it yeah well, I can only like speculate, <laughs> you know, I, mm. I think through historical maybe empathy, uh, mm. you know, I can imagine uh, based on what, what I uh, learned about him. Uh, first of all, you know, when you look at his uh, profession, uh, he worked in the uh, really the archive of the imperial uh, Zhou dynasty. Zhou Dynasty is actually the longest dynasty throughout China's history. It's altogether, uh, it's like 800 years. You know, it's more than other dynasties. So it's really the foundation of the Chinese civilization. Uh, so he worked in the archive, and the uh, I think that, that uh, in that archive, there were a lot of historical records. You know, he probably got a chance to uh, you know, read through those and, you know, sometimes reflect on those. So that's his background. But that dynasty uh, at his time is already crumbling. Uh, so, you know, just being part of that institution, you know, I can imagine that he just can't help wondering how come, why, why is happening? You know, that kind of a curiosity led him to 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 start to kind of to analyze or maybe to reflect on um, you know those things happening I think that's a big factor and there are other you know uh, key people during that time uh, you know he's you know according to history he was a little bit older than Confucius but they they met according mm-hmm. to some of the anecdotes so people uh, are were living just like us, living in a very chaotic times. So, so they want they wonder what um, 
you know, what might be the solution, you know, to this political and social upheavals. Wow. And so Lao Tzu lived during the dynasty that's really attributed as being the real foundation of Chinese civilization, an 800-year dynasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But he was already seeing the decline, but he would have had access to that 800, however many years into the dynasty he was, he would have had access mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all of the writings of the the people who had left something behind from that mm-hmm. dynasty. And so he, he would have been able to kind of really study how things used to be done, how things turned into being done the mm-hmm. way that they currently were. And then um, also his own life observations of just seeing what was happening. Right. And also during that time, there's already some foundational thought, you know, prior to his philosophy, which was the mandate of heaven. Hmm. That was the one of the key concepts, key beliefs during that dynasty at the beginning, uh, the founder of that dynasty, uh, because they conquered the other dynasty, which also was very powerful, but a little bit, uh, you know, uh, shorter which is a Shang dynasty. That's where the, the oracle bones were produced. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the Shang dynasty. Uh, mm-hmm. So av- why Shang was defeated? Because the last king uh, of the Shang dynasty really indulged them, uh, himself. Mm-hmm. He was a very smart person, but he so much believed that heaven is with all all with him that mm. that the, the power rests with the family the shang uh that he you know he just don't uh he he, he, he just like so just like uh throughout history i think the roman empire and others i think one of the things is you believe the inevitability of god's favor with you so that's the beginning of of the downfall yeah, the, right? the arrogance, and it's it's yeah. really like this sentence of, you know, feeling like, oh, it's about me, and I don't have to yeah, take I, the, the world seriously. Yeah, yeah, I am uh, I'm the chosen one. Mm-hmm. I think once you believe you are favored, so really the founders of the, the Zhou dynasty learn from it and, and create this uh, belief, which is, uh, it's, so how is how can you be sure that the mandate of heaven rests in you? It's through the ears and eyes of the people. In other words, if you treat people well, then that mandate of heaven will rest you with you for a long time. So that's the beginning of the Zhou dynasty. That's part of the reason why, you know, at the very beginning, it's just like a steward of people, right? They worked mm. hard and because uh, uh, the Zhou Gong is the, the, what they call the Zhou Gong is the one of the Zhou dynasty key influential people. Uh, he sometimes he worked, uh, he worked overworked. And when some talent people came to see him, he was in the middle of a, a meal. So he had to kind of just uh, put aside the meals and to, to meet these talented people. So mm how virtuous they were uh, that's where uh, at the beginning but later on you know like just like any system it just starts to de- decline the case that's the time when Lao Tzu lived yeah 
and 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 one extreme or the other, e- either um, being too light or being too Im- impetuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, even um, as you were talking about, um, you, you said the the, Sh- the Shang Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just so that maybe to give some a little bit more of a, a framework for our listeners, how did the we, you talked about how the Zhou Dynasty was sort of the foundation of Chinese civilization? How did the dynasties relate to um, civilization as a whole? In, a, in other words, um, you know, what distinguishes a dynasty from the civilization? Uh, through culture, through culture, because even like Zhou Dynasty, who which learned from the Shang uh, Dynasty, they inherited a lot of mm. the you know concepts and you know different beliefs, mm. but evolved them. Uh, I think if you Shang Dynasty was famous for worshiping God, I think mm. it's probably more. I, I think. How should I put it? You know, you you know Nietzsche had a saying like God is dead, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So God was dead for the Chinese people probably during the Zhou Dynasty when the uh, the society is increasingly becoming more secularized but moralized. Mm. In other words, unlike the Shang Dynasty, who still you know pay a lot of attention to you know, reading the oracle and mm-hmm. to try to decipher what God will bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was during Di- uh, Zhou Dynasty, the thinkers at that time tried to transform that. You, you know, really, if you really like believing God, you act morally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, you know, uh, you know, uh, making all the offerings and sacrificial offerings. But uh, prior to that, the, the Shang Dynasty so that's why, you know, you know that uh, the the last king of the Shang Dynasty believe. You know, see, we we made all these offerings. You know, God mm. must be very pleased with me. So it's really mm. the longevity of my dynasty, right? It's always been with me, but that's wrong, mm. because the mandate of heaven is already taken away from them, and somebody else who have a, uh, you know, who win the hearts and minds of the people already have that mandate in them. So that's where the thing, you know, where the founders of the Zhou Dynasty kind of started to learn from it. But they are learning from it just like the ancient, like the Roman Empire learned from the ancient Greece. Hmm. So culturally, uh, they, they take up the good things. You know, that's how the, how the, I think in general, we look at history, that's how usually the civilization work. They, they are not built, uh, uh, from you know, uh, uh, from scratch. Uh, from scratch, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like the uh, uh, America, America, you know, it's built upon the Enlightenment of the 18th century. Uh, and, so yeah, and yeah. some of the and the pure kind of a, a hybrid and of that and the the puritanical values as well, which is why you know we still we still ha- inherited those kind of two roots the the root of secularism but also the root of christian um thought as well 
Exactly, exactly. So it's the same thing happened to the Zhou Dynasty. I think when you look at the connection, uh, uh, you know, the connection through through letters, through uh, mm. through. Uh, in mo modern days, we call the arts and sciences, mm. uh, but mm -hmm. it's really through wen wenhua wenhua, which is the culture. Yeah. So the the culture is kind of the connecting force of of civilization, and the dynasties are really defined by reigns of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the underlying thing is the is the culture. Uh, I think prior, you know, the culture. I would say it's bi-directional. I think the power uh, reinforces so certain cultural tendencies. But even you know before the power is shifted to somebody else, uh, there was also the cultural movement or the shift of people thinking mm -hmm. from you know superstition. You know superstitiously think about there's a power there's a power out there that favors you mm -hmm. to that we need to be more responsible morally ourselves so that's the best worship of god as opposed to the uh, you know the rituals and sacrificial mm -hmm. surface of appeasing to god yeah which Lao Tzu writes about that too you know when when these rituals are empty and don't produce anything then d discard them and throw them away yeah 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 so kind of moving on to the, this, these phrases in this chapter kind of paint a picture, but let's get into the psychology of it a little bit. You know, how mm -hmm. would you describe Lao Tzu, what Lao Tzu is aiming for, this, this noble state of mind? If we try to get into the psychology of that, try to paint me a picture of that. Mm -hmm. uh, the noble state of mind... It's the one that mirrors heaven's way, I would say, to put it simply. Mm -hmm. So describe that, please. Because when you look at heaven, it creates the condition for life to flourish. It doesn't, I think heaven is more, according to Lao Tzu, it's more nurturing. Mm -hmm. It's not possessing. It's not commanding right mm -hmm. when you think about all the words that describe heaven's way it's like it gives you the the space it has the grace right you, you don't have to kind of earn it we mm -hmm. don't earn the sunshine mm -hmm. we earn don't earn, earn yeah earn the air the, the oxygen right everything is provided to you but but i'm not trying to heaven it doesn't try to control you and say, do this and do that. So I think a, nob a noble mind at the end of the day is probably as close to that as possible. Hmm. Right. And it, 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 I would say occasionally in history, you see in maybe certain individuals, but since we're all humans, maybe the noble mind is always in an ideal hmm sure yeah i mean right i mean i think all virtues mm -hmm. are ideals right like we're we're trying to say yes this is the ideal way of behaving this is the ideal way of engaging in relationships this is the ideal right. way of being but knowing 
we're still we have these distorted mm. psychologies where we see the world in a distorted way based upon our own biases our backgrounds mm-hmm. our experiences our traumas our you know conditioning our our mm-hmm. cultural conditioning and so those distortions are there that we can't ever completely get rid of right but, that, but that's why we have the virtues to to try to help us see through the fog see through the mist and it's like okay I now have something to compare my own behavior with and yeah, I'm never going to be perfect, but I can kind of see like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not acting very noble or virtuous in this particular way right now. Right. And we know in Taoist sense that virtue, de, you know, comes directly from Tao, right? Mm-hmm. Tao and de. Yeah. It's not the kind of the morality in the human sense, in, right? It's it's you can see that as a, you know, it's really a spirit. It's a it's a way of, of way of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, and I think that's the um, connection then to the noble way of mind. I mean, really, that noble state of mind is the is the duh state of, of mm-hmm. mind. They're they're not different. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's let's make this let's pull it into the walking the timeless way. Then, in our own lives, regardless of our where we're at in in life, and you know, I'm assuming everyone listening is probably not um, a, a, a member of a royal court or mm-hmm. has right. an official n- nobility um but how can we bring that noble state of mind in into our own lives regardless of of what position or status we have mm. i think before we have that if I there, if I need, you know, I can nail down one thing. That might be something called a sense of security. We can't, we cannot be noble because we feel insecure. Insecure. Hmm. I think there's a connection there. Yeah, when people are not secure, feeling secure, um, how could you expect them to have a big heart and mind? Because they all the logic is always how you know calculating so that I can get the bigger piece mm. or I you know I cannot give anybody any space or any grace mm. to other people um, because I need to get my share first. So I think that that problem of insecurity i think that problem of security has its roots in the a sense of separateness of us within us you know i think we feel insecure because we feel alone or we are on our own i think that can come from 
our upbringing or from social conditioning because no one is going to take care of you if you don't take care of yourself. I mean, all these things, you know, on the surface, you can think that, oh, those are really good because it encourages us to be self-reliant. But is there a, another side to it? I was wondering. So that, I guess there's a deeper reason so if we can trace, you know, I'm trying mm. to do the, some reverse engineering here. Mm. So you ask me, how can we be noble? Based on everything I learned about human nature, I feel being noble, you have to be feel secure. Uh, I mean, just look at some of the politicians. Um, some politicians come from very uh, insecure background in terms of you know, mm -hmm. uh, their uh, family uh, heritage. I think it's more likely, but it's there not a guarantee that people don't have to worry about their um, their livelihood or their their wealth. They tend to have a pure. I, I, I'm not saying it's like a 100 percent guarantee, but chance is bigger that. Mm -hmm they can more in the surface in service of in service of others you know i see some of the presidents in the united states you know may belong to that category but not every one of them the people who claim that they serve others but they really use that service as a platform to take advantage of people you see so many so yeah yeah that's one of the reasons i feel like you have to have a certain level uh, of economic prosperity to feel secure enough to that you do service for others. That's just my my gut feel about it. Well, I kind of you know the thing about that 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 um, I'm kind of wondering about is. You know, mm. when, you know, I'm from West Virginia and, and people right. from places like, you know, a lot of people came from New Jersey, kind of the outskirts of New York City and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Mm. And one thing that people would, would commonly say is that, you know, there's a lot of, of people here who are, are poor, especially compared to what they were used to in the outskirts of New York City, but would always talk about how giving they were and, you know, would, would um, without thinking, kind of give people things and, and offerings. And, you know, clearly those people weren't financially or economically secure, but felt there was something about them that, they felt secure that even though they had very little, they felt, you know, freely giving and, and offering those things to people where, you know, the people from out of state, they recognized, oh, well, it wouldn't be that way where we are, where people have even more wealth, but do not freely offer things and give things. And so, you know, I wonder if there's going back to that social conditioning that it has conditioned sort of this scarcity mindset that 
you know, no matter how much wealth and and economic um, gain that you have experienced, that there's something about our culture and society that makes people feel like it's never enough, and that you know maybe cultures that have never been extravagantly wealthy or something that that they've learned to have security even in this kind of state that there's something about the culture of connectedness of um freely giving of um knowing what's needed and and what's not needed that actually provides that security that just you know money in the bank account can't necessarily offer or provide it might be a combination of both i would say you have to have some kind of basis uh objective conditions that makes individuals like feel provided for of course different people have a different definition Mm. of it Mm. but uh i don't think that it's a totally it's a it's a mindset thing because the mindset doesn't uh, mindset, you know, a, a, affect the way we perceive mm. whether we need more or not. Right? It's mm. an important factor, but you have to have a certain level of, uh, uh, you know, just think about the Maslow's like hierarchy of needs. Mm. Right? That basic thing. Uh, you yourself, you, uh, and then uh, you can. Because you cannot, a lot of times, I also see other extremes of like, you can't, I, sometimes I believe you cannot give what you, you do not have. You have, you should, you have to have it yourself, and then you are able to provide if your mindset opens. You know, there are cases like, let's say this people, this person has already accumulated a lot of uh, wealth, right? Mm-hmm. And as you said, who doesn't believe you know, he has enough. Mm-hmm. So that kind of scarcity mindset haunts him. So he just objectively, he accumulates to other people's eyes. He has already has a lot, but he mm-hmm. just doesn't want to share because part of the reason is for whatever psychological uh, conditioning he had, or I think the people who tend to share also, they see differently. For example, they will see, oh, the you know, it's the heaven is the whole what what he has, right? But the, the uh, in, in other words, in Chinese we have a say tian xia wei gong, so everything under heaven is the public, hmm. is the commonwealth. Hmm. So if you see that, you may see okay, what ends up in your hands are not kind of everything, but you know you can always tap into that commonwealth, right? To uh, support you to help you go through. If you have that mindset, you don't really care like how much you have, hmm. right? So the private property is not something like, you know, you take it so seriously, hmm. like this hmm. is my own because everything can be yours, right? Everything in the sense of what's provided by nature and everything provided all the, your social network because you know when you don't have it, because of that network you have, somebody will will chime in to help you. Hmm. But that mindset is um, 
I think once society has developed into private uh, property, which is like a very uh, sacred thing, then it's hard to unlearn it. And you see variations among the individuals. And some people are really are holding more tight the more they have. And some people who maybe who can evolve and go to the next level and say, I've already got enough. Uh, and you know, I, I'm in a better position to help others. It's complicated. <laughs> it, it, it is, and I think that the, you know, the that relationship between private property and government is really important because I think you know we've been tracing this back to mm-hmm. the noble mindset, and the noble mindset being kind of like live and let live, let people, you know kind of freely live don't oppress them i mean there, there's lots of chapters in Tao Te Ching that talk about when the government interferes a lot it makes people miserable mm-hmm. um and so if you think the notion of private property certainly there's a relationship to abuse of those in power against the people and making their lives miserable that mm-hmm. i'm sure led to especially in enlightenment eras like giving people protections so that you know like our constitution says you can't you can't put soldiers in people's homes and and that sort of thing so it's really about trying to protect people from tyrannical governments but then the problem is is that it, it has become so extreme in our society. We're not treating each other with that kind of kindness and virtue anymore. It's really about, I mean, private property, individualism, freedom. Mm-hmm. That's about our relationship to government. That's about our, we're, we're kind of saying like, hey, we've seen in the past how so-called nobles that aren't noble at all abuse the people, oppress them treat them with no respect and so all these enlightenment values about the individual were put in place as a reaction to that but now we've taken it to an extreme where this isn't about i mean we're completely ignoring the fact that we're supposed to be looking out for each other against all of these corrupt forces particularly when it's the government and now ironically yes we have all these individual freedoms but um there's no virtue within society yeah i see us like fighting two wars at the same time uh, in our time and age one war is to finding the war of loneliness Mm -hmm. meaning that if we do not find a way to overcome this separateness or overprotectionist in us, mm-hmm. and we further, you know, isolate ourselves from other relationships, uh, we're going to, uh, you know, commit suicide because it's against nature. Mm-hmm. Nature is interconnected, yeah. right? At the same time, we're start, st- still fighting the Enlightenment War, which is there are still abusers and uh, 
and the and the and the, the pretended nobilities in our society that try to take advantage of people mm. and exploit other people's morality and yeah. things. And we still need to be vigilant on those people. So those two things, you know, sometimes I think it doesn't co seem to cope, right? So we would like to be all connected, right? Naturally with mm. other people uh, and, 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 and uh, not to really benefit from it. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of the ideal way. But histor history has told us that is just an ideal. There are always predators or mm. aggressors yeah. that we need to be vigilant. So we end up with, I think we have more, I think, you know, to get back to your question, how to get to a noble mind? Well, getting to noble mind is not idealistic. I think it's realistic in the sense that we need to be very discerning. Every time, you know, we, we should break down the walls and, and, and really have compassion with the people that, you know, we, we see that our instinct tells us that you know, these are the people that need a helping hand mm -hmm. or need a, a touch. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, super vigilant about systems and politicians and people, the kind of predicating predators in our society and not to be, you know, abused and exploited by those people. So, uh, you know, that's how I, if I that nobility that's always two things in my mind <laughs> uh, you know it's not a necessary coherent but that's how I think from my own experience that you know we, we operate in this complex world well David thank you for sharing your thoughts on this chapter and appreciate you going through this and and talking about all of these lovely ideas that Lao Tzu has shared with us that we still have benefit from today. Great. Nice talking with you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make this podcast for you and is entirely listener supported. If you find value in our discussions of Tao, please consider making a small donation at walkingthetimelessway.com. We also want to hear from you. Please write to us anytime via the website.